buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to it, you members of the 6 o'clock club. That's right. You're all official members of the 6. I mean, it doesn't get you anything except for bragging rights, but you got up in that golden hour of 6 a.m. to be here with us and to share in the information and discussion and everything else uh, going on. It's uh, it's a bootiful thing. It's a bootiful thing. It's absolutely gorgeous. Thank you for coming in and joining us today, uh, Tuesday, which means uh, we've got our regular weekly guests. Uh, it's the one day a week that we consistently have had uh, the same two guests on for, gosh, Going on 10 years. And, uh, I, you know, that for me, that's I like that consistency. I love it. And uh, I love uh, I love to do it. We're uh, we're jumping into it here today. Uh, Tuesday means Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is going to be joining us. And he brings with him today the weekly top three. And we've got three big uh, discussions and talking points today. That we're going to uh, that we're going to be diving into, uh, starting off with a look at the new fiscal year and how it's starting out from an oil price and production perspective, and uh, what the what the budget says if we end up over that target. We're also going to talk about how the drumbeat of uh, the changing PFD continues. Uh, that's what we continue to hear. Got to change the PFD. Got to change the PFD. And finally, we're going to talk about capital projects and lessons from the past year and hopefully how Anchorage isn't going to uh, decide to write some checks that the state is going to have to end up covering in the long run. So it's, uh, it's a lot of deep discussions today uh, from Mr. Keith Lee from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. I hope you stick around for that here in hour one. In hour two, we'll do a little recap. I've got some stories that I want to talk about as well, uh, and uh, including this e-bike thing, which <clears throat> I didn't think was that big a deal, uh, but apparently it's ruffled some feathers, and we'll talk about that uh, as well. Um, I think the governor may be onto something, uh, maybe not for the right reasons, but uh, we'll <laughs> more government regulation is never a good thing, in my opinion. Um, it's just my in my basic philosophy, anytime you could stop unnecessary bureaucracy or regulation, it's a good thing, regardless of the reasons given. Uh, that's my libertarian streak coming out there. So we could talk about that. And then we'll be joined by Chris 
story, the man from Homer, uh, who will be coming on board to talk with us about um, something. I don't know. He didn't tell me what it was today. He hasn't told me yet uh, what his uh, uh, what his weekly life coaching and uplift uh, thing is going to be about. But we'll um, we'll see what he has to say. We'll see. We'll see what he has to say. Um, and he's going to, but he's going to, he's going to give us a little bit of a uplift and betterment segment, which to me is always one of the highlights of my week because, uh, you know, sometimes we get a little beat down. Sometimes we get a little beat down and we need a little bit of that boost, that positive mental attitude boost PMA. The, that's why we bring the guru on board. So it's all, <clears throat> it's, it's all there. So um, all right. <clears throat> so, uh, hi, how are you? How are you, you know, how are, how are you guys doing? Uh, how's the summer? I mean, we've had, whatever it is, it been now three nice, four nice days in a row, almost four nice days in a row. I'm feeling like summer might actually now have a foothold in what we're doing here. I mean, that's, that's great, right? Ooh, man, it's been such, it's been such a tough one. Uh, although in one aspect, it's been, um, it's been good, uh, in that it has been the slowest fire season in state history since they started tracking it. It's been the slowest fire season in state history, although they did get a bump this weekend. Uh, the Division of Forestry and Fire is actively responding to a swarm of lightning strikes that set off fires yesterday in the interior near Delta and Salcha. Uh, they had over 7,000 ground strikes, according to the BLM. 7,000. That's a lot of lightning, baby. Uh, it led to some fires, including the McCoy Creek Fire which was reported about 25 miles north of the Salcha boat, uh, boat ramp. That is estimated to be about 25 acres and is burning in black and white spruce with an 80% active perimeter. There are multiple structures threatened, but no evacuation notices at this time. I imagine that those are mostly wreck cabins up in the Salcha somewhere. Um, helicopter crews and fire bosses and Division of Forestry engines, along with initial attack resources, are responding and the fire is also supposed to get some rain, apparently, today, tomorrow. The Pogo Mine Fire near Delta is estimated at about 150 acres from a cluster of ignitions. Uh, aviation resources responded and found no targets of value at risk or structures currently threatened. That's in a modified management zone that's received uh, expected to receive rain both last night and today. The Six Mile Pogo Fire, that's another one, is estimated at six acres and is not threatening any targets of value. Fire bosses and crews are responding. Uh, the BLM is also fielding numerous reports of new lightning-caused fires in the interior, including one wildfire reported just south of Mile 100 of the Elliott Highway, although, again, not threatening any sites of value. Uh, most are plotting around in remote parts of Alaska. And finally, uh, fire number 200 is the Moose Fire, uh, where they had uh, smoke drifting over the road, 
but the fire not immediately threatening any other sites of value reported at four acres and burning. The National Weather Service issued a red flag effective yesterday uh, until about 4 a.m. today for the central interior, Yukon Flats, Deltana, and Tanana Flats. So uh, things started to dry out a little bit. They got some hot weather. Things started to dry out. Then you get the lightning strikes. It's kind of the perfect storm. But still, even with all that, it is the slowest fire season in state history. That's good news. Uh, I mean, I I was there for the largest fire in the world when nearly a million acres burned just north of Fairbanks. I mean, that summer, oh, it was like the whole summer was like living in a smokehouse. I mean, they, you know, you talk about bad air quality. I remember one of the borough employees who was dealing was a, a, a acquaintance of mine. He came over. Uh, right before the show, and we were talking about stuff, and he happened to have one of those handheld, it was like a handheld PPM meter or whatever, <clears throat> and uh, and uh, he was like, yeah, the regular value that you're supposed to not exceed is like, I think whatever it was, five or 600, whatever on this meter, and he's like, but you could see it in the studio. You could see a little bit of a haze. I mean, outside it looked like a, looked like the, looked like the movie The Fog, right? I mean, it just rolled in. And he's like, well, let me test the air right here in the studio. And it was like double what was supposed to be the safe. <laughs> Just like, oh, I do not miss that. I do not miss that at all. Oh, man. So good news, though, that fire season is, uh, it's been incredibly small this year. And I'm glad to hear it. And, uh, hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we can, uh, uh, you know, avoid it. For the rest of the summer, hopefully this is just a real short-lived deal, and we can uh, we can get in on that. Um, all right, what else do I got here? Ah, man, I don't want to get into this e-bike thing because I think that's a that's a post Brad thing because I could get on a real tear over that. Oh, maybe we should talk about this real quick. Uh, Mayor Bronson is proposing to for those of you who are not following the shenanigans of what's happening in Anchorage. Oh man, it's such a, it's, it's like an, I mean, it's almost like an episode of Jerry Springer writ large, really this whole thing between the assembly and the mayor and the, the back and forth and the theatrics inside the mayor's office and people leaving and the accusations flying. And it's just, it's like a, it's like a Jerry Springer show. God love Jerry. You know, God bless you, Jerry, for who just passed here recently. But, I mean, that's exactly what it's like. But um, <clears throat> the mayor, I thought for sure that there would be some more outrage in this. But Mayor Bronson said uh, the city is now willing and likely to not be using the Sullivan Arena as a large-scale homeless shelter this winter. And instead, because he doesn't want to be responsible for people freezing to death in the street, they are going to be purchasing or wanting to purchase plane tickets for people who want to travel to communities within Alaska or to warmer climates out of state. Um, If they want to go be where they've got family or where some kind of support system could take them in, they're going to be doing that. They said it's cheaper. Uh, They said that $600 to $1,000 flight is the same cost as a 6- to 10-day stay at a homeless shelter and so they're going to, uh, so they're going to, they're going to send them. Um, one, the one caveat to this whole thing is that they will only send somebody to some place where they know they either have family 
or a some kind of support system that they can immediately be plugged into. They're not like put on a plane and then dropped off somewhere. They are actually sent someplace to where they have family or there's some kind of program in place, um, you know, where they have a support network uh, that can be that can be done. I thought that there would be a lot more hullabaloo about this, but apparently even the assembly is thinking about it and we'll see what happens with that. I mean, we're actually exporting our homeless, exporting our homeless. Uh, the mayor is also emphasizing uh, that Anchorage is shouldering a disproportionate share of the state's homeless problem. Uh, Anchorage has 40% of the population of the state, but they have 65% of the homeless population of the state and said our taxpayers can't keep footing the entire bill. So it's his lead up and prelude to asking the state for more money to deal with the issue. But we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. All right. Coming up on it. uh, We want to jump into the weekly top three here as soon as we can. The Michael Duke show. Common sense. Liberty based. Free thinking radio. Make sure you come join us out on Facebook. Where now if you're on Facebook, you can give stars to the show. And you can go over to YouTube and you can do super stickers and super chats. And it's all a money grab for me. Don't worry about it. It's all my capitalistic tendencies. That's that's all it is. But we can at least hang out and enjoy each other. We're going to be back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay. It's all a money grab. That's all it is. Just trying to make a just trying to make a buck around here. Uh let's go over and see what uh Brad Keithley has to say this morning. Uh, you know, we'll get, we'll get something going on. Hello, sir. How are you? Uh Uh-oh. I got no audio, my friend. Uh, you, are you are muted? Oh, you're muted yourself. It says you can't unmute because the guests chose to mute themselves. All right. How about that? Well, see now I didn't choose to mute you. That's all your fault. You cannot blame me for that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you start punching buttons down here and God only knows what happens. Oh man. I was just saying, you know, I mean, I've got one, two, three, four, five screens, a mixer, two keyboards, four mouse. It's uh, you know, it's like a game of, I mean, I don't ever have to do Sudoku or Sudoku cause I'm right here getting it all, getting it all on. Uh, well, I've, I've, I've only got one, two, three, four, five, and I still managed to hit the wrong one. I know. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh so how are you doing how's it going i'm doing i'm doing great that seems like a lot of fires i mean that was a long list of oh it's, of fires. It, oh, it's only like a half a dozen i mean there's normally i mean by the way they numbered those fires i only mentioned one there has been 200 fires uh because that last one was number 200 uh normally by this time of year i think last they want to say last it was like 1800 fires by this point so it is the, you know, most of them are a few acres or they let them burn or they really only go after them when there's structures involved or it's something in their management plan that says, don't let this area burn or whatever. But I mean, I remember the Haystack fire in Fairbanks where they burned a million acres. It was about 12 miles north of Fairbanks 
and a 989,000 or something acres burned over the course of a short period of time. They had to evacuate whole neighborhoods. And I mean, it, there's been some, there's been some tough years up there. So this is a, this is a good one. And they say wood stoves are a problem. Well, that was I, that was my laughter because they were going after us about air quality in the winter. And he flicked open that thing and said, you know, this is supposed to be a bad air quality day in the winters, like five or 600. Let me see what it says here inside the studio in the building. Oh, 1,350. Oh, I mean, you know, it, it, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know. Oh. So uh, you all, so, huh? Go ahead. So it was, it was it was just a number of fires that started at once. That was the, that's the out of that one event, out of that one. Lightning oh yeah, that strike one lightning out. strike. They said, what did they say? Seven thousand strikes. Is that what I said? Yeah, the interior had over seven thousand strikes of lightning, ground strikes, according to the BLM. That's wow. You just you're just like that was a heck of a storm, you know. Yeah, we don't usually get lightning down in Anchorage. Does Fairbanks get a lot of lightning? Oh, Fairbanks can get a yeah. I mean, in the in the in the summers, they can get a lot of lightning. I remember one year, uh, the most the most amazing storm I ever watched. Uh, gosh, this would probably be close to thirty years ago. I I actually pulled over and was watching it from a. I was on a hill or something out looking, and I could see over the flats. And it was just like from horizon to horizon, as I look south, you could just see strike, 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 strike. I mean, it was just, it was an amazing sight. Uh, I mean, I'm glad I, I wasn't thinking about the forest fires at that point, but I mean, it was, it is amazing. Definitely amazing. And uh, so, so 30 years ago, you were five, you were driving along the road at, yeah, at age five. I was driving around at age five. I said, don't let the beard fool you, baby. Don't let it fool you. <laughs> So I was, in fact, we were lamenting the other day. I was looking at some pictures and I'm like, uh, 10 years ago, my beard was like more salt and pepper. I went from salt and pepper, brown and a little bit of gray to full on Santa beard in about four years. And I don't know if that was the kids, the job, the thing. I don't know what it was, but bam, just like that. I, I like the pictures that Terry posts every once in a while of you back in the day when you didn't have a beard, when, when the two of you were just starting out and, oh, and didn't have a beard. Yeah, that's some old school stuff. If I shaved my beard off, I'd look like I was about 14. So, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So, uh, All right. Well, we're 30 seconds out, ready to go. Um, <clears throat> we're going to hit on all the things that we just talked about, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see what goes on. Uh, please like and share, like and follow. If you feel like giving stars, you can do that here. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you can send super chats or whatever. Let's get into it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Let's do it. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're uh, jumping into it with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three kicks off here, and uh, I guess we just, uh, we're just going to go get started. Good morning, Mr. Keithley, sir. Welcome to the 6 o'clock club, as usual. You're like an official member of that all the time. Um, you, uh, you ready to do the deep dive into the pool here? I am. I am. I've got number 
spurs i got charts i got i'm surrounded by this numbers and charts and boy you just you really know how to talk to a girl don't you um (laughs) well let's uh let's start off with number one um which is a look at the new fiscal year and how it's starting out from the perspective of oil price and production and what does that mean for us if um what does that mean for us if the budget ends up over what the target price is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Well, we're starting out, we're starting out uh, on a good note this year. We also started out on a good note last year. I'll, I should quickly add, uh, we started with high oil prices. I, I think we were still over 100 uh, last uh, July. And uh, we started out with strong production, really gave a good kick to the year. Uh, this year, we're, we're not starting out with as high an oil price, but we're starting out with strong oil prices. We're not starting out with as good a production. We're down about 9% from what, you know, using a baseline of last year's production would tell you we ought to be at. So the production's a little thin, but production has the lower, has a much lower impact on revenues than does, than does price. Uh, the price right now, I, I ran the charts this morning and it'll post at 8.30 uh, Anchorage. Uh, the price right now for FY24, uh, projected price based upon the futures market is about $83, which is $10 above uh, above the $73 price level uh, projected in uh, uh, in the spring revenue forecast and used as a baseline for uh, the FY24 budget. So price is up and that's, uh, that's good. It's uh, worth, um, oh, let's see, it's probably worth about $800 million or so in terms of additional uh, in terms of additional revenue. So that's, uh, that's positive also if it holds for the year and, and we're way early in the year. So it's way too soon to tell. Uh, but that's, it, it, it caused me to think that strong start caused me to, to think, okay, the, the legislature in the FY24 budget set up tiers. They set up a base budget that was set at $73 a barrel, uh, predicated at $73 a barrel. And then they set up tiers if the price went above that. Uh, one of those tiers kicks in an additional PFD amount that would be paid in uh, FY, uh, uh, well, in the fall of uh, 2024 if it kicked in. So I went back and grabbed that. And there you go. Have it up on the chart. Have it up on the screen. So I said charts all over the place. Um, and so I went back and grabbed that. And um, uh, it shows that between 73 and $83, which is where we are now, the surplus estimated at, at if, if we achieve production levels, estimated at $636 million or so, the surplus uh, would go to the CBR, uh, roughly equates to $3 billion FY24 ending uh, uh, CBR balance. So it would, the first $10 of surplus oil prices, uh, surplus over the 73 projected price would go to the CBR and help, uh, help refill the CBR once. We only kick into uh, an additional amount for the PFD, uh, which would be classified as an energy relief payment. We only kick into that uh, uh, once we go beyond the $83 price level. And we're not, we're not, neither the current price nor the future prices, future price levels in the current futures market are projecting that we're going to get above 83. So uh, we're not into that uh, uh, tranche, uh, the 83 to 105 tranche yet. And above 105, it goes back. Uh, goes back to the CBR. So there is, there's good news in the sense that, that prices are starting out stronger. There's not as good news, but not horrible news. 
the production levels aren't starting out uh, at, uh, at at what one would would have projected based upon last year's uh, baseline. Um, so we're a little short on production levels, uh, but that's not as uh, as I say that ha- doesn't have near the effect that that price does. Um, good news on on price, but we're not in the range yet. We've got to go even further uh, to uh, kick into uh, the the price range where uh, we would be um, uh, having some additional PFD uh, paid out uh, in uh, in 2020, 2024. Um, so it's it's uh, it, it's a strong start to the year. Um, uh, and and if I when I was giving this review last year after the after the first month in on uh, on FY23, I was saying it was a strong start to the year. And then we saw what happened to the year. Prices fell off. Uh, production volumes came in lower than projected. And we ended up uh, we ended up with a uh, having a almost running a deficit last year. We were pretty close to a deficit. Now we had a little bit of a deficit. Um, so the first month's uh, results are not uh, they're not they're not necessarily sort of like, you know, past performance that, is not indicative of future results kind of thing. Right. Right. Think, things in the rearview mirror may seem farther away or closer or whatever. Yeah, whatever they the, appear, right. They appear. Uh, but it's a, it, it, it's, it, it's not, <laughs> it's worse than the bad news and it's worse than uh, well, that we're starting out about even. So it's, it's worth noting um, and it's worth uh, sort of tucking away in your brain as you, as you start to you know, factor in what's going to go on this fiscal year. But it's not determinative yet by far. It's uh, it's interesting to see. We've seen the oil prices kind of go all over the place. Uh, you said you've looked at the futures market. It's not quite there at the $83 plus mark, which is the next level of jump. Where do you think we're going to be seeing the oil prices go this <laughs> rest of this summer and into the fall? I mean, and with production, what does it mean for the state? I mean, is there a best case scenario and a worst case scenario here? Yeah, EIA. I mean, it's it's interesting to look at the forecast. EIA, the Energy Information Agency Administration, the the federal um, uh, sort of uh, guru on prices and numbers and and predictions. EIA is still holding to uh, a forecast, an FY uh, uh, twenty four forecast of of eighty three dollars, and an FY twenty five forecast of eighty five dollars, significantly above where the futures market is for FY, FY25. Uh, and, and they are, are basing that, as are others, on, on ultimately the Saudi production cuts uh, having some effect on price, uh, pulling in or having some effect on, on supply and kicking up price as a result of, of, of uh, reducing supply. Um, there's, there's two factors that are offset, that have offset that or that, have 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 mitigated that effect so far. One is Russia keeps producing more than than anybody anticipated, given the given the sanctions. The Russians are are now uh, able to sell. They've they've developed enough of a fleet that's outside of the sanction system, uh, enough of a, 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 a tanker fleet that they're that they're actually getting above the. Price cap that uh, that the Western nations tried to tried to set on their oil price. So, Russia the the, the Russian uh, uh, volumes continue to be a surprise. And the other big thing that's affecting all this is China dem- uh, Chinese demand. 
there's speculation. There was there was expectation uh, early on that China's China demand was going to come back roaring back strong. It's not done that, um, uh, and it continues to be China Chinese demand continues to be suppressed, and so that's had a suppressing impact impact on demand, and as a consequence, the suppressing impact on price. But if you look at EIA and you look at IEA, the International Energy Agency, which also makes these sorts of predictions, they're both saying that uh, they anticipate that price will continue to remain strong. Futures, the futures market isn't picking up on that. The futures market isn't going to the same levels uh, that uh, that EIA and IEA are saying that they think uh, uh, demand will go to. But the futures market sometimes is is cautious. Sometimes it's overly aggressive, but sometimes it's cautious and and I think because current demand and current supply continue to remain sort of imbalance, um, the futures market's being cautious about where things are going. So, and the futures it, there, there there are people there are people who are expecting better things. Let me let me say that out there. Well, and just for folks who know, the futures market is kind of like a betting pool on where things are going, right? I mean, that's, I mean, I'm simple, I'm dumbing it down for the people in the back of the class like me, but that's essentially, it's a bunch of experts getting together, trying to predict price. I mean, it's not always the perfect crystal ball. Like you said, sometimes they're too aggressive, sometimes they're too cautious, but it's an overall indicator of where people think things are going to be going. And of course, a lot of this is based on confidence and and everything else. So it's an indicator of one kind or another. It's, it's an indicator. I mean, it's people with money. I mean, you're, you, you don't, you, you got to put money in to participate in the futures market. So it's, it's people with money baking, making bets with money. Um, and there's also an element in there of producers hedging. I mean, producers will sell forward. They'll sell production uh, six months or, or nine months or a year, two years forward. Um, uh, at a by going into the futures market and essentially hedging their production. So it's it's people who are you know have a have a serious interest in making sure that they're that they're that they're they're selling their production at, at market prices, um, uh, participating in it as well. But it's yeah, I mean you got speculators in there. You got a whole bunch of different people in there, and and it it produces a mix of a range of of expectations, reflects a range of expectations. Uh, about where things are going. It's the best, I will say this, it's the best indicator we've got from a market standpoint of where people think prices are going. IEA and EIA are good indicators of where, frankly, computer programs think we're going because they factor in, they build these computer programs that factor in demand, factor in supply, factor in all sorts, you know, weather, factor in all sorts of variables and sort of make the best prediction they can out of that. Uh, and those are and those are predictions that are based upon the best things that 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 you know software programs, computer programs can tell us. But the but the market, the futures market, is the best thing we have, the best measure we have of what of what people with money um, putting money into a market uh, think uh, think where the price is going. So the good news is is that we're about where we were last year, which seems to be a little bit above water, but. You know that could change at any time. We're we're running on we're running on the edge of one one way or the other. But if it does go up, at least we know where the money's going, right? Yeah, yeah. They've they've set the tiers, which is, and it's not. I mean, last year's tiers. This this is second or third year they've done this tier system. Last year's tier was was K through twelve free funding, and there was a whole you know, oh we're not going to have to we're not going to have to worry about K through twelve because we're going to have these robust prices. We've we've 
we predicted a low price. We're going to have these robust real prices and we're going to have all this money in K through 12 pre-funding. Well, that didn't, that didn't work out. So the, this year's tiers are, are not that. This year's tiers are CBR, CBR, PFD split, and then CBR again. So it's... <clears throat> It's good. All right. Well, let's uh, move on for a tease of number two. We can hear the drum beats. We can hear the chant of PFD, PFD, PFD. You can already see it. They're coming, you know, they're coming hard, coming after it uh, even more. Uh, give me a quick tease before we go to break. Well, we talked last week a lot about the permanent fund earnings and the and the articles that had popped up the week before about the permanent fund earnings being under threat and, and, you know, maybe we're going to run out of money in the permanent fund, in the earnings reserve account uh, and, and, you know, all sorts of parade of horribles and, and sort of tying into the permanent fund corporations push for a constitutional amendment that would unify the two permanent fund funds, the permanent fund corpus and the permanent fund earnings reserve, unify those together and, and make the draws out of that. Uh, that that drumbeat has continued, uh, and and I'll talk about an op-ed that Larry personally did that that continues that drumbeat, and and it's just really bothersome to me. It's almost like a scam, right? It, it's almost they're they're leaving out facts on purpose so they so they can make their case, but it's not a real case because they're they're leaving out additional facts. What? We're gonna, we're gonna talk about that again selective fact selection i mean are you liars damn liars and statistics are you kidding me uh brad keithley our guest the michael duke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio we return with more the weekly top three right after this Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Brad Keithley, our guest uh, here on the Michael Duke Show. Uh, we're uh, ready to uh, jump in and, uh, and get through this. Uh, feel free to leave a comment in the uh, chat room. If you could fit a word in beside what Harold's whole screen of nothing but Harold's <laughs> comments, literally, I just looked up and there's like all, every comment is Harold in this entire slide. I got a slide down one to see it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I look at this and I, you know, this is, there is more art to science than when you, you know, when we're talking about oil prices and everything else and, and all these things, because again, it's based on. Consumer confidence, that's part of it, which is kind of the more amorphous part of it. And then supply and demand factors in and everything else. And But you just you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, look at what happened. You have uh, things get thrown at you, whether it's pandemic or other things that can throw a whole monkey wrench in that whole deal. And uh, so it's it really is a betting club. It's just like best guess. This is our best guess at where things may be going. And it's and it's a best guess we shouldn't be making. I mean, Alaska, uh, the Alaska state government shouldn't be making. We've talked on previous programs about the fact that you know we're living or dying on a guess of where oil prices are going to go for for each fiscal year. We don't do that for the PFD. We don't do that for permanent fund earnings. For both of those, we do historic averages, uh, and you know we have a solid basis, sort of money in the bank. We're just we're just playing with money in the bank. 
and sort of eking it out on an average basis going forward. That's how we treat, that's how we treat those two accounts. For, for oil, we just do something wildly different that we that the state got into the into the habit of in the in the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s, and it just can't break, which is, you know, we're trying to guess at where oil prices are going and 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 basing our budget on that. We've argued, I've argued uh, in 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 probably too many commentaries in in the Friday column we I do in the landmine and on the show uh, that we ought to be basing oil prices and oil revenues on, in the same way that we base uh, uh, permanent fund dividends and permanent fund earnings, which is on right. historic average. Well, I mean that's if, that's number four of the charter of changes is change the budgeting, right? Because I mean, again, going back to Sean Parnell, oh, he's basing his budget on one hundred and fifteen dollars a barrel of oil, and it's already down to eighty eight or whatever it was, kind of thing. I mean, we've said that for years on this program that they need to do some kind of five year rolling average of what they've historically brought in instead of this pie in the sky stuff because it just makes for a budget that is totally divorced from reality in a lot of ways. I mean, it, 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 it would, it would make this show slightly less interesting because I wouldn't talk about oil prices and, and, um, and, and, you know, give a oil price report every six weeks or so, uh, on the show or in the, in the landmine column. Uh, but it would, but it would make our budgeting a lot more solid. We would be dealing with dollars that are already in the bank and we're just paying them out uh, in a certain way, as opposed to this 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 process we go through of, oh, let's guess. We guess in the fall, the fall uh, price forecast, and the governor bases his budget on that, and then that'll change. And in the spring revenue forecast, uh, we've got a different set of number, and that's what the legislature bases the budget on. And then it changes again, and it just, you know, we, we're we're always we're always trying to guess ahead, as opposed to dealing on the solid ground of of the money we have uh, we have in hand. And, it, and 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 the other you know another aspect of that it would make it would it would give our government a, a counter cyclical balance uh, in terms of revenues. Now, <clears throat> when the economy's up, when the economy's booming because oil prices are up uh, and there's a lot of activity on the slope and there's a lot of jobs, we got a lot of state government revenue too, and so we start you know pinging that into the economy. We got the economy bouncing around uh, on these high dollars. When when oil prices come down, uh, and and jobs are down, and activity on the slopes down, well, state governments down too because oil prices have come down. So we got it. We've got a problem in the private sector, and we got a problem in the government sector. If we did these averages, we would end up being countercyclical because as oil as oil prices went up, we'd be still you know averaging coming from when oil prices were down, and when oil prices were down, we'd be averaging from when oil prices were up. Right. So we would have. We would we would have a countercyclical uh, fiscal policy, which is what you want uh, from the government when I, you're when you're when you're trying to even out your economy. I always found it interesting that you had that kind of counter thing going on between when oil prices were up, the state economy did well. Meanwhile, the private sector was struggling because of the cost of energy and oil and gas and everything else. But when it went the other way around, the state is struggling and people are feeling a lot better because it's costing less to heat their homes and everything else. Maybe this would help that problem uh, as well. I mean, it'd be nice to think that anyway. It would. It would. I mean, everything. It, we, we'd be a lot more balanced if we had if we had if we used an average oil price as opposed to the sort of the sort of you know pie in the sky, right? Pie in the sky or or you know crystal ball reading. 
Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Please like and share. Uh, stars and Super Chats are available if you want to help support the show that way. Let's get back into it. Number two of the weekly top three, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free Thinking Radio. Like it, share, like it, follow, do all the things. Let's go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right. I am not your daddy, but that's okay. Yeah, I know. I know you're disappointed. You're disappointed. Um, all right, let's uh, get back into it. The weekly top three. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, joins us. The the drums of war against the PFD. It's a chant. Uh, you could see it in every op-ed, in every piece of uh, news, in every editorial in the in the Binkley family blog, and all these other things. You could see it. it. All of our problems would be solved if we just stopped giving that ratty PFD to the people. And uh, we just took it for ourselves because we know better than you how to spend this money. Brad, uh, those drums continue to beat, and they continue to be deceptive in what they're talking about. Yeah, the latest iteration of that is, is oh, my God, the, the, the sky is falling. The earnings reserve account is running out of money. Uh, we, we need to change the way the permanent fund operates so that we combine the permanent fund corpus and the permanent fund earnings constitutionally, combine the permanent fund corpus and the permanent fund earnings account, and then take the, the percent of market value off of that combined amount uh, going forward, as you pointed out, that's actually one way to 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 raid the corpus because if the earnings account gets run down, uh, or 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 if the earnings don't don't achieve five percent per year, then they're taking some money out. They potentially are taking some money out of the corpus in order to in order to balance the budget. But it's really at, at its core, it's really a way of trying to squeeze the PFD. If you set if you set the 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 take at only five percent and don't have the ability to in the earnings reserve account to take more or to sort of use that as a balance account, then you're really going to be squeezing the PFD even tighter into a into a smaller and smaller amount. This week or this past week, uh, we talked about this on the show last week, and it was a it, I, I think it was number one because it's something that's really troubling me. Uh, this week, it's sort of down to number two, but the, the articles are continuing. Larry Persley had a uh, had a uh, op-ed in the Wrangle Sentinel, which he owns, uh, which was picked up in the Ketchikan Daily News, and I'm sure will spread Juneau and, and Anchorage and Fairbanks along the way. The headline is, it's only permanent if we change it. Uh, and it's talking about the fact the earnings reserve is at risk, and we need to, we need to change the the structure of the permanent fund to combine the corpus, constitutionally combine the corpus, the earnings reserve, and, and goes on from that. Here's the deal. We talked about this last week, but I want to emphasize it again. Here's the deal that's being left out in all of these columns. The one in the one that James, the one that, that Andrew Kitcheman did first in the in the, the beacon, the one that James Brooks did in the beacon, the one that Matt Buxton has done in his uh, 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 Midnight Sun blog, which is now called the Alaska Memo. Uh, and the one that personally and the one that personally is missing, and I'm sure the Binkley family blog, I'm sure the ADN op-ed page will come will come to it uh, as well along the way. Here's what they're missing. There's eight billion dollars, eight billion dollars, eight billion dollars 
they got taken out of the earnings reserve uh, over the last uh, over the last few years. Four billion got taken out in FY20. Four billion more got taken out in FY22. They weren't required. Uh, they weren't necessary for dividends. They weren't required to fund government. They weren't required for inflation proofing. They, they were just unilateral takes by the legislature from the earnings reserve and putting that money in the uh, permanent fund corpus. So if you have an account that's supposed to have $12 billion in it and you take $8 billion out, you, you, you secrete $8 billion of it into the, into the permanent fund corpus, and you only have $4 billion left, yeah, you got a problem. But the problem isn't, isn't that you've only got $4 billion left. The problem is you took $8 billion out. Here's here's what the solution to that to the to the issue should be. That eight, the the first four billion explicitly was treated as a prepayment of future inflation proofing payments, and and the second four billion should be treated in the same way because it it wasn't taken out for any statutory reason. It wasn't taken out for any good policy reason. It was just taken out, and it should be and it should be treated as a prepayment of inflation proofing in future years as well. If you do that. If you treat that $8 billion as prepayment of inflation proofing, we're good to the end of the decade. And we're probably good way beyond that, but we're at least good to the end of the decade. And we don't be, we don't need to be going into this panic mode about, about where the earnings reserve is going. So, but but you read any of these articles, you read the original Kitchenman article, you read the Brooks article, you read the Matt Buxton article, you read the Larry Persley editorial, none of them, none of them mention the eight billion dollars it's like it's like well it disappeared now yeah. we got and now we got a problem because we only got four billion left well because it's and a it's crisis just, and, and it's it's, and it's a, just like a scam it's just like a scam it's a crisis of our own making and by our own making i mean bert stedman's making because that's what it was they transferred that money out of there to put more pressure on the era and the fund in the future to have an argument to say well look now we're running out of money we're only running out of money because you transferred eight billion dollars over there in the last five years Yep. And, and none, none, and that's not picked up in any of these commentaries. It's like, it's like, well, somehow magically by op, by its, by its regular operation, we're down to the last $4 billion. And that's a huge, that's a huge problem. Well, it's not, that's not what happened. It's not by opera, by its own operation. We're down to $4 billion. We're down to $4 billion because, because the legislature took $8 billion out of it and stuck it into the corpus. So it's, I, I mean, it's, it, it 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 keeps striking me every time I read this. It's like a scam. Oh, my God, we're down to four billion dollars. There's a crisis. There's you know, where's the eight billion dollars? I mean, tell me about the eight billion dollars. Tell me how we treat the eight billion dollars, and then maybe we can have a discussion. Problem is, if they talk about the eight billion dollars and they admit that the eight billion dollars should be treated as a prepayment, there is no problem. So right. it's I, I just I. Every time I see one of these articles and the $8 billion isn't mentioned, it's just, I mean, they're just scamming the public. Well, again, this has been the whole push the entire time. For the last 10 years, this has been the push as to what, uh, you know, what direction we're going on this. Um, all right. Uh, final thoughts on number two before we move on to number three, Brad? Well, it's just, if anybody, if, if whenever you see these headlines, ask yourself and ask your friends and ask your representative, what about the $8 billion? What about the inflation proofing prepayment? Doesn't that mean we don't have a problem? And if you get, if you get somebody, if you get a, especially if you get a legislator that looks at you with like deer, deer in the headlights, who doesn't understand what's going on, you know, the scam is working. So just right. 
when you talk to your rep or when you talk to anybody, ask about the 8K. Well, especially since SB 26 and the POMV was supposed to eliminate, that was supposed to have the inflation proofing baked in, but they seem to have forgotten that part of it. That was part of the pitch was that it had inflation proofing baked in, and now they're trying to figure it out outside of that. And that's part of this crisis moment as well. So it's disingenuous. The whole thing uh, overall is just disingenuous. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to number three, which is capital projects. And you say capital projects, a lesson from the past. What can we learn from the past, uh, Brad? How can we inform our future choices? One of my first, uh, one of my first activities or one of my first issues uh, when I, when I started uh, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, and indeed even before that, when I started worrying about fiscal policy, was the amount of money that Bill Stoltz, frankly, who was then chairman of the House Finance Committee, was sticking into the capital budget for various projects. Uh, the American Airlines Arena, or excuse me, the Alaska Airlines Arena at the UAA campus was all state funded. The, the Matsu campus of, uh, of UAA all those buildings out there were all state funded. One other piece of that was the Matsu rail extension. You remember the rail extension that was going to run down right. to, the, to the port of McKenzie and, and right. buying buying the right of way for that and starting the build of that and you know and all the benefits that was going to bring to the Matsu. I that just I mean you could see it you could see it uh, ten thousand miles away that this was not the economics were not supporting this. The 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 coal sales out of the Healy mine to Korea, which everybody touted were going away. There weren't any other mineral developments that were gonna that were gonna pay pay the way for that railroad extension. And it just it was just a way that Bill Stoltz was running more and more and more money into the valley, trying to, you know, build up, build up his his reputation and his and his connections and spending money uh and and his friends who were who were do, doing these things, building these things, just trying to build away. Well, I, I had to chuckle the other day when I read the Frontiersman and the and the headline was end of the line for rail link to Port McKenzie burrow to pursue pursue conversion to a road. Uh, it's finally the rubber's finally come to hit the road. People have figured out the rail extension doesn't work, um, and, um, and 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 uh, and 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 they're going to cancel it and talk about now you know using that the cleared right away and all the buildup uh, to convert it to a road. It's it's it, it's humorous to me because I took a lot of slings and arrows. I mean, there was a herald at the time who kept you know whamming me for you know being against the rail extension because I thought it was a a boondoggle, and and it was and and I just took a lot of slings and arrows back in that time for being opposed to the rail extension and being opposed to some of the other capital spending items. It just just I chuckled when uh, when uh, when I saw that headline, but it does inform going forward. It does inform going forward. There's two things that I think it does inform. One is the Ambler Road extension uh, that that the administration seems to be hell bent on doing, even though there's not an economic case. There's not a, a, a there's not companies out there who are willing to pay the fare that support that road. They'll say they are, but they haven't put their money where their mouth is in terms of prepayments and in terms of commitments uh, to use that road. So that's that's one that's sort of the new Matsu Rail extension. And the other is the Anchorage Assembly is pushing ahead on making uh, changes to the to the Port of Alaska, what they renamed the Port of Alaska to try to get state support of it. And the and the Anchorage Assembly is going is starting to make commitments about the redesign and the and the construction at the port. I'm not sure Anchorage has got the money to do it. 
Uh, and and what we may be seeing is the beginning of the of the next level of if you build it, the state will have to pay for it in the end. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not if you build it, they will come. It is if you build it, the state will pay for it. And and so I'm I'm concerned. I mean, I know it's a municipal matter. I know it's it's being handled by the assembly, but from a state fiscal standpoint, I'm concerned about what the assembly is doing at the port of Anchorage Anchorage because I'm I, I can just yeah. see that. Oh, but you have to pay for it now. Yeah, well, there's multiple options on the table right now, and the one that's being favored by the mayor includes a $200 million increase for larger facilities that even the shippers and the users there at the port say, that's too much. We don't need... So, I don't know, they're like trying to future-proof it when there's no demand. If you build it, they will... I don't know. But it's $200 million worth of if-come, and I'm just not sure that that makes sense either. Uh, more boondoggles ahead, I guess. That's the history of the state right there in a nutshell. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thanks so much for coming on board. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Uh, back with more. The Michael Luke Show continues. Hour two, dead ahead. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, they, you know, we look at this and, and the assembly is like, well, they want one thing. Uh, the mayor and others want another, uh, but I had to laugh because even the ADN is saying, you know, that the mayor is pushing for this. Uh, uh, the mayor is pushing for this uh, change, but uh, he said that, uh, you know, they're pushing for a, a, an expanded building concept that would build uniformly wide terminals capable of accom accommodating larger cranes for offloading cargo. But it's two hundred million dollars more expensive, and it's received pushback from the assembly. Cargo companies that use the facility and uh, Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski is what the article quotes here. But what got me was that even the cargo companies are like, whoa, 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 that's way more room than we need. Why would you spend an extra $200 million on stuff that we can't use? Uh, I mean, that seems like the definition of a boondoggle at that point. It, it does. And, and you know, it's we talk a lot about the market in this state. We're, you know, we're all Republicans. We talk about, you know, respecting the market. Well, let's respect the market. I mean, let's look back at the Matsu Rail extension. Nobody was willing to pay for that. The reason the state was 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 paying for it was to was to have a boondoggle because the companies, Isabelli sure as hell wasn't willing to pay for it. The Korean coal companies weren't willing to pay for it. Nobody was willing to pay for it. But you know, we 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 had to have it. Ambler Road. Well, we need this. Why? Nobody's willing to pay for it. They'll tell you they are. They'll tell you they'll develop things if and and they'll pay for it if things come along. But they're not standing by it in the event you know it doesn't work out, uh, and the and the and the mines never operate or the or the you know road never gets finished or 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 anything like that. It's the same thing with the port. The market's telling you we don't want that. We the shippers, we the 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 carriers are not willing to pay the tariffs that are going to result from that sort of construction. And, but yet, you know, we plow ahead because we want the best and the best and we want the best and the latest and we want the newest and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's just, listen to the market. If the market's not willing to pay for it, don't do it. And, 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 and we've continually ignored the market in this state 
which has continually run us into boondoggles well, like the Massey Rail Extension, oh, like on. Ambler, and like the port threatens. Hey, Brad, that's because they know better than you how that money should be spent, <laughs> right? I mean, it. you know, I, I joke about it, but that really is what all this boils, continues. Every problem we seem to be talking about all boils down to somehow these politicians and these bureaucrats They've been anointed by God with some kind of special knowledge that they know better than you how that money needs to be spent. And that's like, it makes no sense. When the shippers are saying, whoa, 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 uh, you know, we couldn't fill that up with 100 years worth of whatever. And they're like, well, but we still need it. We're future-proofing it, $200 million more. I mean, you know, you, you'll have to pay. You know, I mean, it's it's... But this is what happens time and time and time again. And it's always OPM. It's always other people's money. Their oh, hope sure is, is. Oh, their, sure yeah, is. their hope is, is if they build it out big enough, somebody will have to step in and pay for it. You know, it's like, and a, you know, go ahead. And you know who the OPM is? The OPM is ultimately the PFD. It's ultimately middle and lower income Alaska families. And whoever had, Keith Lee won't mention middle and lower income Alaska families on their bingo card. You win or you lose, which whichever whichever side of that you have. But that's what's happened. The 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 money we spent on the Matsu Rail Extension, the state money we spent on the Matsu Rail Extension, was less money we had in the CBR, and ultimately uh, less money that we've had to support state spending, and ultimately leads to a reduction in the PFD. The same thing with the Ambler Road project. The same thing with this port. The other people's money that will be that the state ultimately will be looking at to cover the cost of the port is uh, is reductions in the PFD. So it's, yeah, they're dealing with other people's money and they're dealing with, they're dealing with other people's money that they aren't. I mean, it's the top 20% making these, making these decisions, knowing that they can backstop it by cutting the, the payments that are, that are important to middle and lower income Alaska families. It's, uh, you know, we say we're Republicans in this state. We say we believe in the market. We really don't. Well, right. It's, <laughs> Again, because we care about one thing and one thing only, that is the continuation of the public economy over anything else, including the private economy. I mean, again, they're not listening to the private economy people. They're not looking at it. This is, you know, again, more government spend for government's sake because we know better. We know better that that's, oh, we, we predict that that's going to expand and government will pay for it. And so we're happy and people will be employed by it and that'll be good. That's what the whole thing is about. And and the they are listening to a very small sector, the very fairly small segment of the private economy, and that's the private economy gets to build this stuff. You know, the contractors. Oh boy, yeah, let's do that. Let's oh gosh, let's, let's go for the two hundred million dollar option. We'd like to get. I have a pool to put in the back of my yard. <laughs> I have kids to put through college. I have you know I have vacations to take. I have that second condo down in down in Hawaii to buy. You know, yeah, build that sucker. Yeah, that's we we need all of that. That's. That's what's driving this. That's what drives these projects. That's what drove the Massey Rail Extension, Bill Stoltz's ego, plus, you know, contractors wanting to spend money on it. That's what drives Ambler Road, and that's what's driving driving the port. People, yes, we, we need to build that stuff. I need to get the contracts, and I need to buy that second condo down in Hawaii. It's... Uh... Well, I mean, I guess we've been doing this for a long years, a lot of years. It's a little disappointing to continue to watch the same things happen over and over. I feel like it's Groundhog Day, only with a change of scenery, right? It's the same thing over and over and over again with just a set dressing change. And here we go. Uh, what a change. What a change. It, 
the, the, the thing that triggered it this week was seeing that article about the Matsu Rail extension. We're finally going to give up. I mean, it just sat out there for sat out there for a long time. We'll get back to that. Don't worry about it. We're gonna have we're gonna have mining someplace, and we'll we'll use that someday. Um, and that was sort of the theory. And we may still be there. I mean, people may say, "Oh no, we can't put a road yeah. over that. We need we still need to preserve it." We'll see. We'll see what happens. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thanks so much. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Hour two is dead ahead. Don't go anywhere. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program Tuesday. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He had a bunch of stuff to say about uh, a bunch of stuff, uh, including where we're going with the capital projects, what we should be doing, and as we factor the budget, the war on the PFD, and more. It's not necessarily good news, folks. It's just, you know, it's the... Just, I'm just thinking about this. What is the definition of insanity, Dukes? Well, let's see. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting. I mean, we've been hammering on this for 10, 15, 20 years in some of these uh, areas and aspects. And, you know, while listeners may agree, we seem to be making very little headway with the powers that be. Because somehow they know. They know. They know better than you how that should all be spent. It's uh, it, it, it's just wow, just wow, man. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, anyway, welcome back to the program. Uh, we could rehash a lot of the stuff that Brad uh, brought up, but uh, I just don't know if I have the heart for it this morning because it's just it's a little it's a little bit depressing. A little bit depressing that we have to still continue to go over this. So maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll talk about uh, <clears throat> a couple of the stories that are going on uh, around the state, and maybe even one that's going around the country. You know, we talked about this. I had to laugh because on Friday we talked about uh, the country western singer Jason Aldean, right? Because he's got that song that's come out called "Try That in a Small Town." And it has raised such a stink 
amongst the, I don't know, the woke crowd, the diversity crowd, the what the easily offended crowd. I don't know, whoever. I mean, it didn't affect me. I've never even heard this song, right? So it doesn't really even affect me whether I liked it or hated it. It doesn't really affect me. But boy, it is just race. It was such a stink. You thought this was going to be like a little blip on the radar, but it just keeps going. But Jason Aldean, he should be, uh, that guy should be laughing all the way to the bank because it, 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 uh, all this controversy, I mean, you know, it's like the old adage that uh, any news is good news, right? Because all this controversy has, um, well, it's not hurt Jason Aldean. I mean, he put out a statement talking about how people have basically, you know, accused him of everything from racism to, I don't know, shrinkage. Anything that they could accuse him of, they are accusing him of. But he is going to be laughing, I think, all the way to the bank. Try That in a Small Town, which was released back in May, debuted at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 list. Um, The track experienced the biggest sales week this last week for a country song in over over 10 years. (laughs) According to sources uh, like Luminate, which tracks a lot of this music and stuff, the song hit 11.7 million on demand audio and video streams between July the 14th and July the 20th, marking a brace for it 1000% increase from the previous week. Prior to the music video's release, the track accounted for a million streams, almost a million streams in the US. The digital sales for the song increased from a thousand to 228,000. In that's in those same weeks, respectively. <laughs> I mean, the network <clears throat> country music television, which apparently is the country version of VH1. I, I don't really watch it, but uh, it 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 pulled the video from this hullabaloo, right? This outcry. They removed the video uh, from its rotation. The video had about three hundred and fifty thousand views on YouTube when they pulled it. Well, that controversy didn't. This is like the Morgan Wallen thing all over again. The they pulled it. It had just over you know 350,000 views. Now it has over sixteen million views and is the number one trending video under the music category on YouTube. <laughs> My God, you should write more controversial songs every now and then just to. Just to see people, you know, get all hot and bothered and worked up about it. I mean, Jason Aldean, good for him. Just all the way. I just, but I just, this is what, this is what kills me. Were you trying to be, were you trying to virtue signal by bashing on the song? And now it has had exactly the opposite effect of what you were looking for. That somehow you wanted to decry this guy for writing about life in a small town or whatever, or topics that you didn't care about. And now all of a sudden your all your caterwauling has led to nothing more, but more success for the artist in question. <laughs> you just, you cannot, again, it was like when Morgan Wallen had that uh, drunken screed that he threw out there that one time. And, and all of a sudden, you know, radio stations were dropping him left and right. And his album went to number one. 
because the consumers, they didn't care what the talking head said. They didn't care what the powers that be or the conservative or the woke police or whatever it was. They didn't care. The people were like, oh, really? What's this all about? Let me go look at it. Let me go listen to it. Let me go watch it. Let me go buy it. That's the true, I mean, that is the true indication of where people, what people are thinking and what people feel about this kind of stuff. But Jason Aldean, all the way to the bank, my friend, number one, 16 million views on, I mean, I could live for a thousand years and never get 16 million views on my videos on YouTube, which is fine. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying he goes from 350,000 to 16 million views in a week. That's, that's great. That's, uh, that's great. I'm, I, it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and, uh, I just, I I can't, that stuff just continues to backfire on them. They just, it's like this whole thing with the sound of freedom, right? The sound of freedom, uh, movie that, uh, that we keep, uh, we keep hearing, you know, that they keep banging on about how it's, oh, it's just raw. Even reason magazine had an article that was, um, talking about the, uh, was talking about, uh, the, uh, uh, the sound of freedom and how, oh, it just, it glorifies vigilantism and all this other kind of stuff. And it, it, it just misses, it missed the whole point of what was going on. But sound of freedom still came in at number three after Barbie and Oppenheimer this weekend. It added another 20 theaters. It's made over $124 million. And it, because people continue to go see it. People continue to like the message of what that movie is. Now, I still haven't seen it myself, but I hear great things about it. And the news media and the talking heads and the commentary can all run it down and beat it down and try and try and tie it to some kind of QAnon thing or what. But the people, I think in the, they're not they're not as fooled. They're not as sheep like as it seems like a lot of these News media outlets and the talking heads want to believe. Well, if we just say that it's bad, it's bad. The people will go. They won't go see it. But it's not happening. It's not what's going on. Not what's going on. Sound of Freedom beat out Mission Impossible uh, a Dead Reckoning. It beat out Indiana Jones. It beat out Insidious the Red Door. It beat out all these other. I mean, Mission Impossible is only in its second week. And Sound of Freedom beat it out again. In the, it's just, keep doing it, folks. That's all I'm saying. Keep doing it. If you want to keep pounding the pavement and telling people how bad it is to do all this stuff, people are just going to go do it. I think in some cases to be contrarian, and in other cases they just can't believe that it's as bad as you say it is, and so they go do their thing. But whether it's a whether it's a country music song or whether it's a movie. You know, Americans are still going to vote with their dollars and go do those things. And and God bless them. God bless them for doing that. That's all I can say right now. Um, All right. Let's uh, what else do I got? I got a, just a couple minutes here. Uh, the governor has uh, come out with a new veto. Uh, the governor on Friday vetoed uh, the fourth bill of his five year tenure. Canceling legislation intended to deregulate, this is how the this is how the Alaska Beacon writes, to deregulate electric bike use in Alaska. 
Now, that's not how it's written in the press release from Ashley Carrick, who is trying to carry the water on this. Um, she put out a press release on um, yesterday uh, that came through that I got a copy of um, that said uh, he was vetoing this bill. And the reason he was vetoing the bill is that it, quote, creates unnecessary bureaucracy by regulating a recreational activity. Um, Ashley Carrick goes on to quote and to, and to say, basically, well, this bill passed the legislature nearly unanimously. And it did. It passed the legislature, both houses, with only one dissenting vote in both chambers. And she says, uh, Passage of the bill in both bodies was a culmination of five sessions of work started by my predecessor, Adam Wool, yada, yada, yada. The governor's reasoning for vetoing is also inconsistent with what the bill actually does. By defining e-bikes in statute, using the industry standard definition adopted by 39 states, this bill moves forward the current technology and clears up a legal gray area around what electric bikes are. It also provides regulatory authority to local governments and state agencies to limit or expand current e-bike usage where they see fit. To me, that's the that's the golden sentence right there. Anything and I don't care why the governor vetoed it, quite honestly. I mean, I don't have an electric bike. I don't see myself buying an electric bike. I really don't have a dog in this fight. But anytime I see something where they were going to put, give regulatory authority to local governments and to state agencies to try and limit or expand or give any kind of power or regulatory burden over something, I'm happy to see it go away. I really, really am. I'm happy to see it go away because... You know, why does the government need need control over, I mean, electric bikes? Why does the government need control over those kind of things? I, I, but of course, everybody's all worked up about it. And now there's even rumors that, oh, well, the reason why he eliminated that is because she was very vocal about his vetoes on the uh, education bill. And this is just punitive or, you know, uh, retaliatory uh, and everything else, to which the governor's office pointed out that he supported other bills for people who had been uh, <clears throat> very vocal about his uh, vetoes and called for an override and everything else. I, I don't know. I don't know what the governor's reasoning was based uh, other than what he said, but I'm not really interested in the government having more power or more control over whether it is recreational or whether it's even people's primary mode of transit or anything else, I'm just not interested. I'm just not interested in the government having more control. So good for you, Governor. Good for you. I'm happy that that I'm happy that that's going on. But you know, <laughs> dictators and regulators got to dictate and regulate. That's what they got to do. All right, we got to go. I mean, I don't care if it was a full unanimous vote. I really don't. I, I haven't spoken. I didn't even know this bill existed until the veto. But any time you could stop more regulation from government, that's a win in my book. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Our light, our guide. 
and our trusted friend. Okay. I mean, I just saw, again, I don't even have a dog in this fight. Uh, I really, I mean, to me, it's like, uh, it doesn't, but I just looked at that and looked at it and said, huh? Um, yeah. I mean, anytime when it, in Ashley Carrick's own words, that the bill provides a regulatory authority to local governments and state agencies to limit or expand current e-bike usage. And then I was like, nope, none of you, none ya, none ya, none ya, none ya business, none ya business. And in the the lamentations from the Alaska Beacon article were like, oh, local municipalities were looking for guidance and they wanted more power to regulate. Nope. Nunya. I'm done with you. Nunya. Stop. Go away. Leave me alone. Not interested in participating in your regulatory madness. That's just that's just what they need. That's just what government needs is one more thing to uh, to regulate. Right. I mean, that's the that's the whole point there. Uh, all right. Um, I suppose I could get caught up in the chat room real quick. I got Chris Story uh, going to be coming on here in just a second. Um, and the biggest movie, it wasn't Sound of Freedom. It was Barbie. Well, no, of course it was Barbie. Barbie was the new release. I never said it was the biggest movie. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, I'm, I'm going back. Ever wonder if maybe the marketing gurus created the controversy to push people to buy the album out of spite? Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> Just, you know. Uh, Jerrica says it happened. Same thing happened with the passion of the Christ. It was so controversial that even those who hated it went and saw it in the theaters. I mean, maybe somebody is Machiavellian enough to, for that reverse kind of reverse psychology thing. I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know. You know, um, what's the point of the, of an electric bike? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's fun. It, you can ride it without having to, the whole point was that you could ride it without, uh, um, uh, without uh, having to pedal the whole way, right? Makes it longer and you could do big treks with it and everything else. Um, <clears throat> the bill would, uh, uh, Barbara said the bill would create a regulatory structure for bicycles more extensive than exists for four wheelers and snow machines. Again, they can never not overcomplicate it. They can never not overcomplicate it. Um, <clears throat> It's uh, it's it's astonishing. All right, let's um, let's uh, let's go get uh, uh, see if we can jump in with Chris Story and get him uh, get him ready and squared away for the show this morning, and we'll uh, we'll see what he has to say. How about that? We'll go over here, and it's ringing. Look at that. We got it. We got it working. Got it working. Good morning, Michael. Hello, sir. How are you i'm on top of the world here in my own backyard in top of the world here in my own mind just in top of the world my own backyard i'm trying to blend all the brands i know you you are doing a good job i'm i think thank you you know it's you're you're also i coined a phrase for where i think you're at this morning irregulatory bowel syndrome irregulatory you wanted i yeah you like not for regulation so you're irregulatorily bowel 
syndrome complex e, e, simplex four herpes simplex 27 <laughs> yes <laughs> doc gave me a cream it's all fine and cleared up now don't worry about it I mean, have you ever <laughs> used the word simplex in any other context of I, course not i know i know it's crazy <laughs> isn't it um so uh what's the topic today my friend uh arithmetic really you're that gonna... means math that means you're, math. Michael, you're gonna teach you're gonna teach us the new math is that the is that the point here yeah just, just call it new math we're gonna call it we're gonna call it new math chris is gonna join us on that all right well we're about uh, 20 seconds out so you hold the line mr story and we'll be right back to you uh we'll we'll get something uh, about this figured out here the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free-thinking radio Folks, please like and share the show, like and follow the show page, do all the youtube stuff and everything else. Let's get this going on. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Tuesday edition, that means we uh, get to do our weekly betterment segment, uplift segment, positive mental attitude, positivity segment with our life guru and coach and friend, Chris, I use that term loosely, Chris Story. Hello, my friend. How, how, are, how are you doing today? Doing well, Michael. Doing better than well. Um. I'm going to go with fantastic. You're going to go with fantastic. Um, all right. I guess before we get down into the weeds, the first question that popped up when, when you came on here, people were like, when is the next Audible book going to be available? And I just got to say, that's on Chris. I mean, I have nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You've had it, I've had it my hands for less than 24 hours. Yeah. It's my fault. It's all Chris's fault because he's had it. I gave it to him. He's had it. It's uh, 24 hours. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he got it Sunday night, and that's pretty much it. He's he's all done with this at this point. Um. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that later. Chris, today you're going to talk to us about the maths. Arithmetic. Tell me what what are you, what's going on? What are we discussing here? Well, you coined then the phrase new math. So I think let's do that because we want to trigger people just like uh the music, you know, Jason Aldean and, and Sound of Freedom. Yeah, let's trigger folks let's with new math. Chris is gonna teach us all about the new math, folks. It's so much better than the old math. Yeah, I'm so irritated already. I want to turn up the volume. Cheryl Richardson is a life coach and a speaker and somebody Tiffany and I ran across a PBS special she did about 20 years ago and I can't I can tell you almost nothing from her hour-long presentation but one quote one sentence and it has stuck in my mind all these 20 years later she said and I'm paraphrasing to improve upon your life it's often less about what you add and more about what you remove so it's about subtraction. What do you remove from your life that will make a higher quality or a more impactful life versus what you add? Again, this has stayed with me for, for 20 plus years. It's probably 22 years ago. Right. And I, you think about this, you think about, first of all, I'm so grateful she said it, number one. And how many times have you thought about saying something, had an idea, 
thought I might share this with somebody. I might share this with a group, but eh, who am I? I don't know. But what if something you said stuck with somebody and made a difference in their life two, three decades from now, that they're better off for you having said it? First off, I just I think that that's one of those reminders in my life that like, wait a minute, who do you think you are? Well, that's exactly who you are and you become who you think you are and you have something to add to the conversation. Uh, it's like Joe Stump said, never open your mouth unless what you're about to say will improve upon the silence. Michael, I try to do that here. I'm not always sure I accomplished <laughs> that. But Cheryl Richardson did. And this math problem has stuck with me ever since. And it kind of I think about it from time to time. When I'm looking at maybe a new business, Tiffany and I are thinking about acquiring a new property. We'll talk to ourselves and we'll use that sense like, wait a minute, is what we're about to do going to improve upon our lives such that the addition of it is better than taking some time and looking at what should we be removing? So often when we've removed something or let go of something, oh, it's like it's like losing 100 pounds. It's like losing uh, this this weight on your shoulders that maybe you didn't even really realize you were carrying. So that's that's the all call today is to say, when we look at math, you can multiply the results in your life perhaps by employing subtraction versus just addition in this overstimulated world. We are all very, and, and it's like you're speaking to my brain today, uh, because I got to be honest with you. I have been, uh, uh, just let's go back to the audiobook. I've been working on that thing for a while. I mean, you sent it to me the first part of December, and I just finally got it to you uh, because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to do those things, and I don't have a lot of time. But, boy, it was really weighing on me. Like, you know, it was like that thing that, oh. And once I subtracted it, and and I was, it's amazing how well I slept on Sunday night. It's amazing how well I felt yesterday when I knew that that wasn't in the back of my mind all the time. We do that all the time. You know, we procrastinate or we put something off or we, we prioritize something else. And but when we finally get stuff done and we and we subtract it, it is amazing that the relief and the pressure that can come off that you didn't even realize it was there. Right. You didn't even know it was weighing down on you. Uh, it requires some of that self-analysis to decide to look at your life mm -hmm. and say, wow, I did. You know, did I need to add to it or was it better to subtract it and get more free time up? I mean, that's it. it, it like I said, you're speaking right to me today really great point i was talking to somebody yesterday about a business opportunity and i could hear some hesitancy they agreed to it and then i heard hesitancy in his voice and i said hold on a second and i like to just be incredibly transparent and blunt might come across as rude sometimes but it really is just to get to the essence let's boil this down i said i'm hearing some hesitancy do you do you feel that i mean am i mis my mistaken or is there some hesitancy in your saying yes to this opportunity and he said, well, and I said, tell you what, okay, there is, good. Let's snuffle it out right now. Let's get this hesitancy on the table. And we talked about a couple of other options. And I said, you can say no. I mean, what will, what will make me happier than you saying yes today out of an obligation is to say no and not be resentful later because this is going to be a year-long plus project. So if you if you really don't want to do it and you'd rather say no, you'll be better off. I'll be better. Off. Everyone involved will be better off if you simply say no for the right reasons than yes for the wrong reasons. That's a that's a subtraction right. versus addition. Right. When you divide, 
oh, look at me going on with the math analogy. When you divide your time in multitasking, <laughs> it's actually not multitasking, it's switch tasking. It's a little bit like an emergency room doctor can look like in the, in the throes of an emergency, see a gunshot wound victim is wheeled in. It might look like, man, this doctor's doing 18 things at once. Yes, with a singular patient. Now you take that ER doc and you move him from room to room to room, patient to patient, everybody's going to die. He has to focus on that one patient on the table in the moment, even though there might be 38 things going on around him. Right. It, it's really not, it's a switch tasking. That's another thing that somebody shared with me a number of years ago is that there is no such thing as multitasking It's switch tasking. And when you remove the, the extra things and you can focus and become singularly focused on the thing in front of you, it becomes not only more rewarding, it becomes probably more successful, and it becomes a richer life versus just more in your life. So it all does boil down to the math. Um, it's interesting because <clears throat> if this has applications in so many different things. I mean, you were just, you know, you're talking about uh, business opportunities. Do I add to my plate or do I subtract from my plate? I talked about tasks, you know, things that I, commitments that you've made, things that you could let mm -hmm. go or should let go or just get finished or whatever. But it's also in life as well, right? I mean, we are constantly surrounded by the input from, uh, you know, social media and the feeds and, and TV and everything else that we need this and we need that. I saw an interview the other day. Uh, somebody was talking about fires or whatever, and their life was affected by uh, one of the wildfires in California. And basically, they lost almost everything. And they said it was really a freeing moment because I realized that I had all this stuff that while I loved it, now I don't have any of it. And I realized I don't really need it all to get on with my life. Uh, I mean, I think that's why people like Maria Kondo have become so popular because like, does this bring me joy kind of thing, you know, where people are pitching out stuff in there. And I mean, hey, I'm a pack rat from way back and I still keep thinking, man, I should just get rid of half this stuff because I don't even I don't even need it. Why is it even here? You know, kind of thing. And so that subtraction, the equation, there's my math pun for the day, the equation that Chris is laying out is actually applicable to multiple areas of your life that maybe you need, you don't need to add more, maybe subtracting some would give you more joy, would give you more confidence, would uh, relieve some of the stress and pressure and make you feel like a whole new human being. I love it. I love it. Absent the wildfire, of course, you could do this without tragedy or without natural disaster. You could simply, for example, maybe... Maybe stop watching the news, for example, just for for a month. Say, you know what, for the for the, re the remainder of this and next month, I'm going to remove watching the news from my life. Free up a couple or more hours a day, read the news, subscribe to a couple of newsletters or websites that, that will get directed updates and news to you as you wish. Maybe not directed to your phone screen, but you they come into your email. Stay informed and up to date on what's going on. Um, versus entertained because i think watching the news has become a form of entertainment such that by removing that alone you might free up and i'm so grateful to fox news for having fired tucker um it's freed up an extra hour to an hour and a half a day for me monday <laughs> through friday um i love tucker and i miss him but at the same yeah. time when he sends out one of his tweets and it's it's a five or 10 or 15 minute watch uh well i did watch the uh, the andrew tate interview an hour and a half or whatever it was but i mean I, it made me realize though like wow because that was the only thing i went to fox news right for well that's a news 
news is almost like self-flagellation these days, right? It's not entertainment. It's self. <laughs> it's self self-flagellation. I come here to just get beat down, and I look forward to it because it's the I don't know. It's the responsible thing to do or whatever. I mean, I stopped reading or watching the news years ago where I would sit down and watch the news. Now for the show, you know, I'll read some news stories or whatever, but I, it doesn't come to my phone. It doesn't come to my email. I'll go out and search mm-hmm. out some stuff because otherwise you just get overwhelmed and you get beat down and you get, I mean, for me, I got angry. I was a very angry person, you know, 15 years ago because, I, you know, and I just, I needed to subtract that from my life. And see with that new free time, what you might decide to add back into your life. Maybe not. Maybe you do go take the Marie Kondo approach and you go minimalist with a lot of different things, but removing a couple of mindless habits that aren't adding to the quality of your life could lead to more life in your years. Maybe not more years to your life, but maybe more life in your years, as George Carlin so wisely said, and in this in this overstimulated world. So you can divide your time and you can simply try to do more and more and more or take that Zen approach and subtract to the least and maybe maybe even take this approach towards relationships. And I'm always reluctant to even think about this equation, as you say, in terms of a relationship, because I'm not suggesting right. that you remove somebody from your life. However, if you take from a speech that Denzel Washington gave, he said, if you hang around five stupid people, you'll be the sixth. You hang around six, five rich people, you'll be the sixth, and so on. And it's so true. And you and I have talked about that before, that you become the average of the five people you hang around. And, you know, in the next five years, you become five years older. Will you become five years wiser, wealthier, healthier, happier? Those are all determined upon. The answers are determined upon what you, I think, remove from your life today. And maybe who? And it's not that you have to go out and unfriend a bunch of people on social or whatever. Did you know you could just simply stop looking for it? You can <laughs> engage in a different way. You can, Instead of adding to the noise, you could subtract by asking some keen questions. Hey, tell me about when you were 14. What was your favorite movie when you were 14? And maybe we move off of some hot button topic. Les Brown said he's got cookie friends. He's got 2 a.m. friends. He's got friends that he would call if he's in jail and needs bail money is all kind of different friends that some, some friends, he said, I just don't talk politics. We don't agree on anything politically. You don't have to remove that person from your life, but maybe remove that plank of the conversation. I have a really good friend. One of my best friends is, is polar opposite antithetical to me on every single political issue. I just don't, I no longer discuss politics with him. And we have a great friendship. And so I've removed something and added back in something better. And it's what else we talk about and what else we have in common. And we have, you know, in fact, the more I think about it, we have quite a few friends like that that are liberal. Hey, (laughs) I I allow somebody to be wrong and still can love them. Right. Well, I mean, that's what we... You know, back in my day, that's what we used to do, right? We used to be able to find commonality with people and, uh, and you know, not have to talk about that stuff. Or even if we did, we just agreed to disagree. And that was fine. Uh, we still, you know, we still had friendships and things like that. It's, it's crazy. But the subtractive power here of letting go or stopping or divorcing, you know, cutting out, doing whatever it is. There is power in that, and it doesn't always have to be more, right? That seems to be the, the mm-hmm. day and age of consumerism and everything else. It's always more. Well, sometimes less is more in the long run. Yeah. Um, and this is 
Go ahead. I know this is going to also be be triggering because it's it's sort of you know hot topic right now. But imagine Michael Dukes in a stiletto heel standing on a linoleum floor versus wearing a platform heel. You know, <laughs> our mutual friend Kipper <laughs> McGee puts that in my mind every time we talk about. Uh, I hire him for a radio coaching gig. He always talks about Chris. Remember the stiletto heel on the linoleum floor? Concentrated, minimal effort makes a deeper impression. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and my legs look good in those. I'm just saying right now. Uh, final mm-hmm. thoughts, Chris Story. Uh, you did get uh, you did get a copy of The Watchmen in audio, and so people did ask, uh, you know, when is it coming out? How long do you think before The Watchmen, which is available right now in print, but is going to be on Audible here sometime in the near future? Uh, what do you think? A few weeks here, or what? What? Uh, what's your? What's your? Oh thought? no. No, 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 no. Less than I would say. So our, our original, <clears throat> our original pub date goal was July one. We ended up with the ebook and the print uh, paperback edition by July one, and now are looking for August one for the audio release. And I got to tell you, Michael, it's uh, I'm almost done with it. I'm almost done listening. It is fantastic. I'm listening to it a little bit. I, I guess it's a little, and this is going to sound arrogant, but it's a little bit like maybe how uh, Beethoven would have felt watching, you know, the the New York Philharmonic play one of his symphonies or something it's amazing what you've done with it yes it was well written it's a good story but oh man you bring it to life in a way that uh i'm listening to this going who wrote this this is amazing you just perform it so brilliantly. Well, thank you. It's it was a pleasure to perform. It was a pleasure to perform. Great story. Uh very very dark. I like that. I like the I mean it 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 allowed me to tap into my inner uh <clears throat> sadist evil slash twin. madman slash evil twin yeah absolutely so all right well hopefully- and, and that's the only thing i would just putting that pin in that is just that it, if you love born to live in the backyard millionaire you probably won't like this if you love the making a man you'll love this yeah no this is this is definitely a different feel i mean backyard millionaire was like a nice you know crisp beautiful summer day and this is like a dark stormy night where you huddle up next to the fire and love to be scared it's uh it's good. It's and really, grandma's, really good. And grandma's got a butcher knife. And grandma's got a butcher that. knife behind you and you don't see it. It's uh, it's going to be good. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, The Watchman, his latest book in the Jacob Mann series. Of course, he's got The Making of Man, The Backyard Millionaire, Born to Live. So many different books. So little time. Chris Story, the man from Homer. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board and joining us today. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. All right. Hold the line. Folks, we're out of time. we got to go back with more right after this streaming live every weekday morning on facebook live and michaeldukesshow.com oh man all right so good stuff well i'm glad you like it i definitely enjoyed uh performing it uh i'm 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 interested to see what other people say because again it it took it to the it was like next level it was like next level good dark thriller and uh and i i dig that uh there was some there was some good stuff in there some shocks shocks i tell you when i first read when i did the first read through i was like what 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 oh man <laughs> what my voice got oh, a little oh, high no there. you didn't what what just happened uh anyway um i look forward to the full rundown uh from you um not getting run down from you, but the full breakdown from you when it's all said and done. Hey, maybe maybe that'll happen in the next one. Actually, the next one uh, is in progress, and I'm about probably halfway through writing it. And it's uh, it takes place. It's a I'm calling it sort of it's a ghost story, not a gothic ghost story, but kind of because it takes place in a remote cabin. 
So I've isolated Jacob from the rest of the world, and he's in this cabin out in the wilderness. And it's a little bit based on it's somewhat of a true story, and, and it's a little more introspective. I think I told you this before, but I'll repeat it because it's worth repeating. It's called Jacob Man's Search for Meaning. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's great. I'm yeah. enjoying it. That's like, okay, he, you know, Victor Frankel, just his estate just called and wants to talk to you, um, you know. <laughs> But it, it, it'll be good. Uh, I mean, I don't know how good that book will be to read because it'll just be me talking in my head for however many hours that is, but it'll be, uh, it'll be good. Uh, I love it. Um, I can't wait to see the next installment from Jacob. I'm excited to see where he goes from here. And uh, it's, it, it's inspiring. It's good stuff. So I appreciate that. Final thoughts, Chris Story. Imagine if the governor uh, of Alaska was a little bit more like the governor of Florida and would do more to subtract from the laws versus add to them, such as his e-bike uh, veto, bravo, wonderful. Um, but at the same time, what if you were to make a commitment to never again create mandates that restricted your movement in the freest last frontier on the earth? What if you were to deduct and remove those powers so that the next governor wouldn't have opportunities to mandate closures of businesses and so forth? He could take a page from this Reduction Act and, and start removing some of those powers now while he's still standing tall for Alaska. Right. Well, like I said, I don't even care the reason why. I don't care what the reason given was at this point. Anything that reduces government regulation on anything, I'm in favor of I mean, at this point. Yes. Don't even tell me why. Yeah. Just tell me you did it and I'll pat you on the back. Good job. Good job. Uh, what I found ironic. Exactly. What I found ironic is that the legislature almost unanimously passed it and then they're just shocked that he did it. And I'm like, well, again, any regulation, anytime you could stop regulation, I'm okay with it. I don't care if the whole crowd is like, this is great. Uh, no, I'm just not interested in that. So it's yeah. uh, so let's celebrate his subtraction. Yeah, celebrate his subtraction from the equation. It's the equation of life. See, there's your next book title The Equation of Life uh, How to Subtract and uh, How to Subtract and Multiply Your Fruitfulness. Ooh, see, subtract I mean, and get more, subtract and get more. Yeah, that's an equation. That is the new math. Subtract and get more. How does that how does that work? I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris Story, thank you, my friend. Uh, good to hear from you and uh, look forward to talking to you uh, next week. Well, here on the show and look forward to talking to you later uh, this week on the, on the book. We'll make sure we got to get it in the pipeline. I've already drugged my feet yes, enough. Sir. So, all right. You, you demand. You demand. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you calling in. Thanks for uh, being part of it today. Uh, all right, Chris Story, the man of, from uh, Homer, comes on board and shares with us every week. I needed that. That was good. Like I said, he was speaking directly to me at that point. <laughs> I was so, uh, I've been working on it. I was working on it, but you know, there's just only so many hours in the day to get things done. And finally I had to knuckle down and spend a full, I don't know. I think I spent 18 hours this weekend getting everything kind of squared away, uh, and, and put it all. It's, uh, it's good. Um, all right. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Chris mentioned something about the governor standing tall and it was like, the chat room immediately just explodes and like, devil, demon, he, uh, <laughs> I wonder what would happen if the governor ran for re-election now. Um, you know, Donna Ardwin. Oh, that's a t-shirt. We should get you a t-shirt that says that I'm a big fan of subtraction. <laughs> we know 
That's why politicians hate her. She's a big fan of subtraction. Politicians? No, they're a big fan of exponential multiplication. That's what they're that's what they're big fans of. Yeah, not just multiplication, exponential multiplication. That's what they're that's what they're fans of, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I, I guess we should jump back into it. I don't really have uh I really don't have much more for uh this hour, we could continue to talk about I guess I could uh, fire up the phone lines and we could uh, take some calls and see what goes on. What else is on your mind today? We'll jump into that right now. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like it, share. Like it, follow. Send some stars. Send some stickers. Do whatever you need to do. Uh, help support the show. I appreciate you guys. Let's get back into it. Here we go. Thanks for calling the call-in line of The Michael Duke Show. Powered and... Okay, welcome back to the program. Thanks for coming in and joining us. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. One final segment here today uh, for the show. Um, I kind of hit all the stories that I wanted to uh, hit on. Um, there was a story uh, from Suzanne Downing talking about the satellite launch. Uh, yesterday we were talking about Starlink and they're, they're continuing to expand their constellation of satellites and do everything else. Um but uh, some bad news, I guess, for rural Alaska, according to spacenews.com, the first uh, Astranis-built satellite for rural Alaska won't be delivering commercial broadband for the Alaska-based Pacific data port because of a malfunction. The satellite can't keep its solar array pointed at the sun. The California-based manufacturer has reported uh, to trade publications the hope was to have a micro-geo satellite coverage for much of the sparsely populated and area uh, remote areas of Alaska affected by the fiber optic cable break. Um, meanwhile, Quintillion, which is trying to repair the fiber optic cable, has updated its repair schedule. The current plan of work is to have repair operations start on August the 9th and run through the 22nd. Uh, the schedule is based on the area being 90% free of ice for that time to work on it. Now again, I, I you know, uh, Pacific Port, Pacific Data Port, and Astranis is working to deploy a full replacement satellite in early 2024. But service for the summer, the hopes for that appear to have been dashed. My suggestion is maybe they should just reach out to uh, to Starlink and see what they've got to offer at this point. I don't know how much it costs to put that Astranis satellite up in orbit, but oof, man, maybe they should just. You know, Starlink, baby. It's there. It's working. Maybe not to the capacity that it needs to, but hopefully by late August, once they put that final batch of satellites in, and I, I should actually I should actually go and take a look at that to make sure that that's still up and running. That was the target deadline in May or April was uh, the end of August. <clears throat> but we'll see. But again, everybody's trying to find solutions to this, and uh, 
it's going to get crowded up there. If Astranis and and Musk and everybody else has got, it's going to be crowded up there. It's a parking lot up above the state here in the near future. Uh, all right, let's go over to the phones. Uh, I opened up the phone lines here. You probably heard that when we came back. I forgot to mute something. Uh, but let's uh, let's touch base and see what you guys have to say about, well, anything we've been talking about today. 907-433-3150. Good time to uh, take some calls and just finish up the show today. We're on a high note, so let's just keep going. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Uh, good morning, Randy. What's on your mind? Did you say yesterday that you had seen the Barbie movie? Uh, no, I have no, I have not seen the Barbie movie. Uh, I just said I saw some of the trailers and stuff, but I have not seen the Barbie movie. I have not been to the movies in, I mean, in the theaters in like four years, probably. So, no, I have not seen the Barbie movie. Did you? Oh, okay. No, no, I have not. I have not been in the theaters in four years either, I think. <clears throat> I wasn't planning to see the Barbie movie, but I saw an interesting article in yesterday's Fairbanks Daily News Miner, July 24. It's, it says here on page A6, it says, Barbie slammed by conservatives as man-hating woke propaganda amid summer box office success. Anyway, I just wondered if you had seen it, if you thought it was super duper woke or, or, or what? No, I mean, Willie Waffle, of course, reviewed it last week for us. And he did, you know, he's, he did not say that he said that it's, you know, kind of a fun romp and it's not, I think a lot of times uh, these days, conservatives love to be just as outraged as some of the snowflake liberals. And I think that they were making, you know, some, some ado about that. Um, the, for most of the reports that I've seen from people that, I follow and trust in as far as, you know, looking at this kind of narrative and see whether or not the movie was super. Because Willie has been, he has not been afraid to say a movie was like super woke or was too heavy handed with a narrative or anything like that. He didn't say this. And most of the other reviews that I'm reading are saying it's the same kind of thing. I know Ben Shapiro came out the other day. My wife was telling me uh, that he came out and said, my producers drug me to it and I'm going to, it's the most woke piece of, you know, whatever, you know. I don't know. I think sometimes people just love to be outraged and they can read into anything. Um, you know, I I go to a movie to enjoy the movie unless it's basically stuffing it down my throat. I can live with it kind of thing. There's been a few movies where I've been like, oh, that's so, so heavy handed. That just subtracts from my enjoyment of it. Uh, but for the most part, I think I can go pretty much watch anything and be OK with it. Um, yeah, one thing that caught my eye in the article, aside from it saying that it was man-hating, which is probably just all in good fun, but but it said, speaking uh, on Fox News, 52-year-old Cruz, meaning Ted Cruz, admitted to not having seen the movie, but still dismissed it as essentially Chinese propaganda. And I thought, what? <laughs> but, but apparently in the movie, there's a map, no. and it shows or kind of gives credence to the Chinese claims on the... Uh, South China Sea, right, uh, and and because of that, Vietnam, the nation of Vietnam, banned it in their country. Right. Well, we talked about that a couple weeks ago uh, with Willie as well. It's the nine dash line oh. there in the South China Sea, uh, and but it's typical. I mean, like you said, Cruz just admitted in himself he's not seen it, but he's sure that it's Chinese propaganda. He's sure that it's trash. <laughs> that is just typical of uh, today's day and age. I didn't see it, but I know it's absolutely horrible, and nobody else should go see it either. Um, it's uh, 
you know, I, I just, I just shake my head on that kind of stuff. And I saw the picture of the nine dash line that they're talking about or eight dash line, whatever the secret number is of dashes that show the South, the South China sea thing. Um, I, you know, maybe, I, maybe they were playing up to the Chinese a little bit because let's face it, that's a multi-billion dollar market for movies and everything else, or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Is the movie is trying to make any kind of political statement? Maybe it is. I haven't seen it, but those that have, that I kind of trust have been like, this was kind of a fun romp and it was, you know, kind of lighthearted and I don't know, man. It's a movie. It's not like it's Citizen Kane. It's not like it's going to try and change the face of humanity uh, with a movie about Barbie. Yeah, well, thanks, Michael. Also, it said that Ken did not have enough testosterone. (laughs) Well, we all know if you've ever undressed a Ken doll, you know he doesn't have nearly enough testosterone. You know, that's a, you know, that's a fact right there. Ken, you might need a little tea boost because, whew, it's either that or it's the steroids. One of the two. I don't know what's going on there, Ken. All right, folks, we're out of time for today. (laughs) I love my job. I love my job. We will, uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good day, my friends. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. That's that's all I can ask. We will see you guys tomorrow. Mike Shower should be our guest. If he's not flying in the air somewhere, have a great day. All right, all you crazy people, thanks for coming in. Don't forget to like and share the show. Get more people involved. I appreciate you guys coming out. I love you. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show